Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 12. It's on page 54 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have brought you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in the, his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hevitites, and the Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to, to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. This is the word of God. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we continue now in our series in Exodus, um, please speak to us in this word, this part of the story that seems especially strange to us. I pray that you would make it clear and you would even use the peculiarity of this passage to um, teach us truth. <clears throat> in your name, amen. <clears throat> so what do fireworks, birthday cards, monuments, and cookouts all have in common? They're things we use to remember. We remember important events or birthdays or holidays or military victories or um, historical things. So last Monday, as you know, our whole country celebrated and remembered something important. My birthday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you beat me to it. Man, stealing my thunder. <clears throat> no, Independence Day. So on that day, our whole country decided, decides and decided to set apart that day to remember and to celebrate. Fireworks were set off, parades were watched, hot dogs were eaten, uh, families gathered. Uh, some normal parts of life also stopped. You couldn't go to the post office and mail a letter. You couldn't go to the bank. We set apart that day to, to remember something, to commemorate something, to celebrate something. And likewise, your family or you personally have your own days of remembrance. Your anniversary, or maybe the anniversary of a, a loved one passing. These special days that you mark on your calendar, and you don't even have to mark them on your calendar. You know them so well that every time they come along, you do something special to remember, to celebrate, to commemorate. God told the nation of Israel to remember their deliverance from Egypt. To remember. Not the kind of remembering as like, oh yeah, God delivered us from Egypt. I remember that. Like, yeah, I have to pick up milk at the store on the way home. Not that kind of remembering. Remembering by retelling the story. And by saying, this is something that defines me. This tells me who I am, and so I remember, and so I celebrate, and so I commemorate. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> God wanted the Israelites to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and that God had dramatically freed them and brought them to himself, right? And he wanted that story to be passed on from generation to generation so that, so that everyone in the future would know and remember what God had done. And the same is true for us. It is vitally important that we remember our salvation story, that we remember what Jesus has done for us. What happens when you forget? When we forget? Well, um, if one generation forgets, there's a break in the chain. And we can see all around us what happens when people forget. Churches are emptying out or wandering from the truth. 
We have neighbors, friends, even family members who have no idea who Jesus is. We live in a society that calls evil good and good evil. Why? Because people forgot. People forgot. And so there before there but for the grace of God go we. We must remember. We must remember. Um, so let's look at three ways in this passage that God told Israel to remember their redemption. These are three specific things, even peculiar things, that God told Israel to do annually or continually to remember the story. And in each case, God was counting on the curiosity of children to keep the story alive. So let's look at these three things, and then we'll see how the principles in these can apply to us beautifully as Christians, as believers in Jesus. Okay, number one. The first thing God gave the Israelites to do was the Passover meal itself. This is the one we are all familiar with. Um, let me dip back into chapter 12 and read verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. What's he talking about? Passover, the Passover feast. We're told that the whole community of Israel now in Verse 43 and on. The whole community was required to celebrate the Passover. And only the community of Israel was allowed to celebrate Passover. You had to be part of the covenant community. But anyone who wanted to join the covenant community through circumcision could. It was saying, this is closed yet open. This belongs, this is a special celebration just for Israel to remember, but anyone who wants to join us can, okay? So for generations to come, Israelite families would reenact the Passover night. Now the, the putting the blood on the door frames, if you were here last week and remember that, didn't Jeff do such a good job, by the way? And Aspen the sheep, if you weren't here, oh man, you missed something special. Have to watch the video. So, putting the blood on the door frames was only for that first night in Egypt, but the rest of the parts of the feast continued. So every year the family would would select uh, the best year-old lamb they could find, and slaughter it, and roast it over a fire, and eat it together as a family, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast as a Passover meal. And then the kids would ask questions. Dad, why do we have to eat these bitter herbs? Well, son, because it's to help us remember how bitter our slavery was in Egypt. Mom, why do we have lamb on this day every single year? Well, it reminds us of the Passover lamb. You see? And the mother would say, your great-great-great-grandfather had a lamb just like this, and its blood saved our family when God came to judge Egypt. The story would continue. Look at verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Tell them, 
It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. A story that should not be forgotten. Okay, so this was one of the ways for Israel to remember who they were as God's redeemed people. He never wanted them to forget. They had been slaves under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh without hope of escape, but God sent Moses. God redeemed them with mighty acts of judgment and changed their story and saved them. They were a rescued people, a saved people, a redeemed people. God never wanted them to forget that. Number two, the second way God gave them to remember was called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Now we're getting into territory that seems stranger to us because it's less familiar. So a week before the actual Passover meal, people had to start cleaning all the yeast out of their homes. And then for a week, they were only allowed to eat bread made without yeast. You see? And why did they have to do this? We don't know. (laughs) The text does not explain the purpose for this celebration. It seems to imply that people, people understood intuitively what it meant, or maybe there was some meaning in the past that's been lost to us, but we don't know. But we do know that the strangeness of it was meant to raise questions from kids. Uh, when, when the kids say, Mom, why is our bread always flat in the first month of the year? Well, son, it's because um, we, when we left Egypt, we didn't have time to make bread with yeast. We didn't have time for the bread to rise. Or because God told us to eat bread made without yeast. Look at verse 8. Chapter 13, verse 8. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Kids' questions provoke answers, storytelling, so that the story would be passed on. You can imagine the conversations that happened around Israelite tables between bites of lamb and flatbread, and the stories that were told, the questions that were answered. This is a way God gave the people to commemorate his saving work. But there's one more way, the third way, connected to the Passover to remember the story. Look at Exodus 13, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Okay, what what does this mean? Well, down to verse 11 also. Chapter 13 and verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem them, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So every firstborn man, or human or animal, was to be dedicated to the Lord. Now this means 
If you were a shepherd and you had sheep and a, a male lamb was born, you would have to sacrifice that to God. It was a, it was a financial loss. And if you had a son, you didn't sacrifice your son, you, you took some money, spelled out later in the book of Numbers, and you gave, I think, five shekels to the priest and said, this is to dedicate my son to the Lord. Why? Why just the firstborn? The firstborn symbolized the best of the nation and the future of the nation. So this was God's way of saying, yes, that's right, Ian. This was, uh, Colin, this was God's way of saying, the first and the best of all you have belongs to me. In other words, everything belongs to me. You as a people are my people. And indeed, he tells them that in Exodus 19. You are to be, to me, to, you are to me a treasured possession a peculiar people, a special people. So God is saying, you belong to me. I have redeemed you from slavery, not so you could go off and wander and do whatever you want, not so you could be enslaved to someone else, so you could belong to me. You are mine. And I'm not a cruel and oppressive master like Pharaoh was. I am a life-giving, I'm a good master. So, along with, it, with his consecration, like the other two things he gave them, Passover and Festival of the Unleavened Bread, God counted on kids' questions to come up. Chapter 13 and verse 14, look at this. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? You know, like, Dad, why do you have to kill every firstborn uh, ox and sheep isn't that aren't you losing a lot of money um, say to him with a mighty hand the lord brought us out of egypt out of the land of slavery when pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in egypt this is why i sacrifice to the lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons so do you see the repetition in this passage, how important it was for God's people to remember and to do specific things to remember, not just to, to write it on a post-it note and say, yeah, don't forget God saved me, but to do specific annual regular things, which would then provoke questions from the kids, which would then provide opportunities to tell the story and to pass it on to the next generation. And for the nation of Israel, Passover and the festival on unleavened bread were the most important events on the calendar every year. Now, fast forward a few hundred years in Israel's history, and unfortunately, they did a bad job remembering it would only take one generation of people to get casual or to, to get distracted, and then the whole nation would go astray to worship idols, to get into all kinds of crazy evil stuff like child sacrifice and sexual cultic practices and just stuff that was so far from what God wanted because they forgot. 
But do you know what? Every time there was a national revival or time of repentance, like under Josiah or Ezra, they would celebrate Passover. That was a way of saying we are going to remember who we are. We're going to get back on track. We're going to remember who we are and whose we are. Now, what does this mean for us? Um, if you haven't noticed, we are not Israelites. <laughs> um, we do not celebrate Passover or the festival of unleavened bread, nor for any of you farmers, do you have to kill the firstborn males of your animals or dedicate your sons to God in the same way? So what does this mean for us? Jesus fulfills all of these things and gives them a new meaning for us today. So all of these things converge on Jesus and especially on the cross the center, the nexus of our salvation story, right? That's our story. Continuing from the story of Israel, we have Jesus, the perfect Israelite, the Son of God, who came and lived as we should live and died for us on the cross and rose again to defeat death and ascended to heaven to send his Holy Spirit to start the church. That's our story. We cannot forget that story. We cannot forget that story. We remember that Jesus gave himself the perfect Lamb of God to redeem us from slavery to sin. One particular way that Jesus gave us to remember is called the Lord's Supper or communion. We celebrated it last week. And in doing this, we remember the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples and yet gave it a totally new meaning. He took the bread, the flat bread of the Passover, unleavened bread, and said, this is my body. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Remember me. The cup, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. There was one big difference between Jesus's, between that Last Supper and every other Passover meal. There was no lamb on the table because Jesus was the Passover lamb. And we are to remember him, how his blood was shed to shield us from God's judgment and to save us and redeem us from sin. And for, for 2,000 years, the church around the world has, has done this simple act of remembrance, the ceremony. And whenever there's been a revival or a, a work of God in the church, people celebrate the Lord's Supper because it's the thing Jesus gave us to remember. You know, it's also really important to note that this is not just intellectual, cognitive stuff, right? Jesus gave us physical signs and symbols, something to do with our bodies, with other people, eating and drinking. There's such a tendency in our culture to separate the physical and the spiritual. Um, I, I want to talk to those who are watching online and say, we're so glad if this is serving you, if you're unable to get here because of sickness or you're housebound or you're traveling, 
We're so glad you're able to tune in and listen. And at the same time, <clears throat> if, if there are people watching just because it's convenient, you're starving your soul because Jesus wants us to be together to remember. And we see that at the Lord's Supper. That's something you do together physically with other people to remember. Now, there are other ways that Jesus fulfilled these acts of remembrance. Let me finish with, two, with the, the, the other two. So through Jesus' death, we're told by the Apostle Paul that he purchased us for God. So we belong to God. Does that remind you of consecration? We are consecrated, dedicated to him. Everything we have is his. Our bodies, our minds, our finances, our gifts and talents. And as a Christian, our job is to, to offer those things to God, not just not just the firstborn of our families, but all of what we have and say, God, this belongs to you. Do with it what you want. And as we do that, we're called to live holy lives. This is where it connects to the festival of unleavened bread. Remember how there's no explanation in Exodus? Well, thankfully, the apostle Paul, who was a, a Jew, explains it for us as Christians. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he refers to the festival of, of unleavened bread as a metaphor for purity from sin. So yeast, yeast is a tiny organism that spreads through whatever dough it touches, right? And in the same way, sin spreads through our lives and our communities, our families, our churches. And Paul, in the church in Corinth, all kinds of immorality was happening and affecting people. And Paul said, this should not happen. Don't you know that you are part of a, a new loaf of unleavened bread? So let me read the passage from 1 Corinthians 5. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see what he's saying? He's saying that sin is part of our old lives before Christ. Pride, greed, sexual immorality, unforgiveness, violence, selfish ambition, those are things that spread through our lives and our communities like yeast through dough or cancer through a body. And so we need to do all we can to purify ourselves, to remove those things from our lives. Not so that we can be saved, but because we are saved. Israel didn't celebrate the festival of unleavened bread so that God would save them. They did it to remember what God had done. And so in our struggle against sin, even that is a way of remembering and honoring the work that Jesus has done. It's a way to remember. So when our neighbors look at Georgia Plain Baptist Church, the people of this church, what do they see? 
Do they see us living distinctly different lives from the people around us? Or are we doing the same stuff? Are we, you know, spending lots of money on ourselves and sleeping with people we're not married to and boasting and bickering and all these things that are in the world? Or are we pure and different? And here is the real question, the test. Is our salvation story so much a part of who we are that our kids notice and ask questions? Do they? Do they? Is, are our lives so different that our kids can't help but notice that we are different from their friends' parents or grandparents? It can be stuff as simple as, Mom, why do you do the thing with bread and juice in church every month? Well, let me tell you. Why do we go to church? My friends don't. Let me tell you. Mom and Dad, why do we give so much money to others? I mean, I want a new bike, but you're giving all this money away. Grandma, what does resurrection mean? You see? Questions that kids ask. Two weeks ago, we had VBS here. We had about 45 kids plus helpers. And many of them were from families who do not attend a church. Isn't that awesome? The best part of it for me was listening to the questions that kids asked. Um, here were some of them that I heard or heard about. Who came first, Jesus or God? Why did Jesus forgive the sins of the paralytic? Great question. Why did Jesus die? Great question. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Great question. What is a tomb? Great question. <laughs> One child who was in Meg's group, when Meg had answered her questions about God, she said, oh, okay, and one more thing. Where did Santa come from? <laughs> she said, well, that's not really my department, but I do know some things about Jesus. The future of the church is bound up in the curiosity of kids. So do our lives pique their curiosity? And can we answer and tell the story when they ask? Yes. 